All right, go ahead, open your Bibles. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. We are working our way verse through verse by verse through the book of Daniel. Let's remind ourselves a little bit of uh, where we are. First of all, Daniel chapter 6, we are coming across one of the classic stories in the Bible. Uh, Frankly, even many who are very unfamiliar with the Bible, many who are very, maybe have never even been to church, might be familiar with this story from Scripture. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. It's one of those stories, if ever you were in a children's ministry, you probably had the felt board stories of the lion and, you know, the cage and Daniel praying of it. Most people have some familiarity, if not even the story, just that language, the lion's den. Daniel in the lion's den, very classic story. What I hope to do today is to show you not only the power of this story, but to perhaps to draw some unique insights out of it. The text is quite fascinating, a really remarkable moment in human history. Before we dig into that, let's remind ourselves Daniel. So context, what is this story, Daniel in the lion's den? What's the context so we understand it? Daniel chapter 6, we've been tracing the life of this man named Daniel. When we first met him, he was a young teenager. He was brought from Jerusalem all the way into Babylon by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had overtaken Jerusalem and brought all the Jews with him, many of them, and relocated them in the city of Babylon. So this Jewish young man, this is about 500 years before Christ or so, 550 years before Christ, this Jewish young man living in exile in a very pagan society, right? There, there, there was, it wasn't like living in Jerusalem where you're surrounded by the worship of the one true God. They're, they're living in Babylon, surrounded by all sorts of pagan idolatry. And what we've seen is that this young man, Daniel, has demonstrated faithfulness in many circumstances, and God's honored him. Daniel's risen up to be one of the the right-hand men of the king of Babylon. He was the wisest of all the wise counselors to Nebuchadnezzar, even at one point helping Nebuchadnezzar come to faith in the God of the Bible. We actually, if you remember that, Daniel chapter 4 was a first-person account written by Nebuchadnezzar. That's amazing. That's an incredible story that Daniel was an integral part of helping that man come to faith in the one true and living God. Now today... When we get to this story, Daniel chapter 6, what we saw at the end of chapter 5 is that the Babylonian Empire fell, okay? And now there's a transition of power to a new international superpower, the the Medo-Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, ruled by two major people. On the one hand, you got Cyrus over the Persians, and now on the other hand, you got Darius over the Medes, and there were some interesting relationships between the two of them. Daniel's His wisdom kind of superseded and and went past just Babylon. So Daniel's still in the Babylonian court, only now he's not serving Nebuchadnezzar. He's underneath Darius, who's over the Median Empire. This is about 539 B.C. Daniel's now in his 80s, okay? So if you've got a picture of Daniel in the lion's den as a young man with no gray hair, you got the picture wrong, right? This is a man in his 80s who's about to get fed to the lions. Now, what I want to try to do from this story, we're going to read all of it today, and I want to try to draw out four clear lessons for us. So we walk away, not just with the children's ministry version of Daniel in the lion's den, but four true lessons to take away from this story. Lesson number one, the spiritual fortitude to withstand the lion's den is formed long before entering the lion's den. Let me say it again. The spiritual fortitude to withstand the lion's den is formed long before entering the lion's den. Let's look, Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. 
It pleased Darius. Remember, Darius is the head honcho. He's the boss in charge of the Medio-Persian Empire, at least the Median side of it. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. Notice, Daniel's still in the very higher ups of the wisdom kind of sphere of uh, the ruler class of this empire, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. That same language is found in earlier chapters. If you were to go back, back in chapter three, I think, we see an excellent spirit was in him in the view of everyone else. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. The trap is set. There's this man, Daniel, who... They're jealous of the power he has, right? He's the, the most important of all the wise counselors. He's the most distinguished of everybody. And they're jealous of the authority and the power that he has. But did you notice they couldn't find anything wrong with his life? Don't you wish that was true of our politicians today, right? Think about that. In reality, this is real life. This is kind of the world of politics. They're doing everything they can to find fault with this man. They're digging into everything he's ever done. I can't find anything. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. The king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. That's how good of a worker he was. He was going to put him over the whole kingdom. Verse 4. The high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they found no ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful. This man was a man of godly character, throughout a long, long life living in the political realm of Babylon and now into the Medio-Persian Empire. He was a man of virtue. He was a man of nobility. He was a man of steadfast faith. Over many years, proving himself reliable, present, available, full of wisdom. It should be no surprise to us that this was Daniel's character. We've seen this from when he was a 14-year-old kid being thrown in working in the harems of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? We saw that his faithfulness was present even as a young teenage boy. And it, makes, it should be no surprise to us that now, after many years of faithfulness, we still see as an 80-year-old man, as an 80-year-old man, developing more faithfulness, improving his character to all the other men around him. I want you to picture this man, Daniel. When he was taken from Jerusalem, he, he must have felt like he lost everything. He, he got thrown from everything he knew. 
And all through that time period, you have to imagine, he, he doesn't want to be in Babylon. His heart isn't there. His heart's back in Jerusalem. He wants to see the temple rebuilt. He, he wants to be back in the land that God promised to his forefathers. And he's living in exile, but day in, day out, in a circumstance is not what he ultimately desires. Faithfulness. Living a virtuous life. Living a noble life. From time to time, we see these miracles that God did through Daniel, don't we? We've seen two times, at least in this point, where he interpreted these dreams and, and he saved many people's lives. And there are these highlights over this 60 plus year career of Daniel where God did extraordinary things. But can I just say, we only know of two of those highlights in a 65 year career. The rest of the 65 years, besides those two days, were pretty faithful, simple, steady, prayer filled days of character. Many of us are hoping that we're going to have these exemplary moments. And I'll tell you, look, in the life of a follower of Christ, there are moments where it happens. There are moments that are those interpreting dream moments in your life if you're living a faithful follower of Christ. But you don't build a, faith, a life of faith on those moments. A life of faith is built in the day-in, day-out discipline of following Jesus, loving Jesus, learning to allow the Holy Spirit to stir your affections, to know and love God with greater fervor. And when you pursue that steady daily rhythm over many years, a lot of people around you take notice of the wisdom that you have, and they seek your counsel. And sometimes you develop enemies along the way. See, the spiritual discipline to withstand the lion's den that he's about to be thrown in, it got formed long before he ever got to the lion's den. Long before. This was a life of faithfulness. Charles Spurgeon, a historic preacher who I love reading his old sermons, he makes this wonderful picture describing what the life of Christ should be like. He said, you know, many people think of following Jesus in their life when you actually look at them and the way they follow Jesus, they're a lot like a dog following a stranger on the, on the sidewalk. The stranger's walking down the street and he's got a biscuit in his pocket and he pulls it out and from time to time he, he feeds the dog a little biscuit and you can just picture this happy little dog, you know, nipping at the heels of this stranger. And the dog's got all the energy. He's following the stranger down the sidewalk. But eventually, the, the stranger runs out of biscuits. He's got nothing to give the dog. The dog keeps biting for a while. But then the dog realizes there's no more treats. And then he gets interested in some other direction. He starts chasing a rabbit or a squirrel in another direction because there's no treats left. Many of us, frankly, have a, 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 a discipleship of Christ, a following of Christ. that's a little bit like that dog. Our, our dependency, our fervor, our, our childlike, puppy-like enthusiasm for Christ, it's, it's bent on him providing biscuits every now and then. <laughs> Little cookies to make us feel like there's something more going on. And while that's wonderful and good and true, there are also seasons where God intentionally remains quiet to develop something new inside of us. And if our faith is only built on the biscuits, then we're like that dog. We find something new to, to, to chase after. But have you ever seen a dog who truly has a master who he loves? Some of you have dogs like this. These dogs are the dogs that when you leave, they just sit with a sad face at the door until you get home. They're just wagging their tail the whole time, waiting until you get home. And you ever see a dog who's got a true master they love? I haven't seen this in person. I've watched videos of this. Masters who have been away for years. But then all of a sudden, the sound of their voice is heard at the door. And you see this old dog 
with a puppy-like enthusiasm, sprint and knock over all the furniture to get to the door because they know that voice. That's the faith of a Christian. It's the faith that waits until Christ returns at the door with an enthusiasm, with just steady, waiting, enjoying, knowing he's coming back. That's the faith Daniel had. It was this day-in, day-out fortitude of following God, even when it was difficult in exile. The fortitude to withstand the lion's den is built and developed long before ever getting in the lion's den. Lesson number two. You're not going to survive the lion's den if your prayer life is dead. Okay? Lesson number two. You're not going to survive the lion's den if your prayer life is dead. Let's pick up where we left this story. Remember, Darius has just signed a law. New law. This is a political story, if you're wondering. New law. The law is, can't worship any other god or person other than Darius. How's Daniel going to respond? When Daniel knew, verse 10, that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Let me highlight that phrase. As he had done previously. Let's make sure we understand the weight of this, what's going on. This is a death sentence. Daniel knows what he's doing. He knows the consequence of his actions. There's a level of political uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, say it again, Brian. Dissidents? No, there's a word where you stand up. Peaceful protest. There's a level of peaceful protest here where he's not permitted to do this. But what does he do? He goes into his window, where the, to his room, where the window's open. <laughs> there's, there's nowhere in the Bible that says you've got to pray with the window open. Right? That, that's, not a, that's not a rule in the Bible. You can pray anywhere you want with the window closed. But what's he doing here? He's making a statement and a proclamation. Darius, I know you think you're the king, but you are mistaken. And there's a much higher king over this land, and it's not you. And when you write a law that prohibits me as a follower of the God of the Bible from worshiping God the way the Bible instructs me to worship God, I obey God and not man. You see that? And there's a peaceful protest taking place right here where he gets on his knees with the door open and he prays. Now, what did he pray? This is remarkable. What did he pray? Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He went to his upper chamber, opened towards Jerusalem, got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. Do you see that? And gave thanks. Don't miss that language. Daniel knows the law better than anybody. He's the king's right-hand man. He was probably in the room when the document was signed. He saw the whole thing play out. And he knows the justice that comes, quote, justice that comes for a Christian that breaks this. What happens? You get thrown in the lion's den. Daniel's seen many other people get thrown in the lion's den. That was justice in those days for political dissidents. Right? That was what happened to them. And it's not pretty. Right? You only need to use your imagination to imagine how terrifying that judgment would be. That's a slow death and painful. Daniel goes, he says, I know the judgment that's coming. I'm going to get on my knees, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give thanks. He gives thanks. What's your prayer life like? When was the last time that that you were going through something that was so difficult, 
just, you know, we all have that. Every, every, no, you're not unique, right? So if you come in here and you think you're the only one who's got all this really hard stuff going on in life, welcome to church. Because <laughs> everybody you're sitting next to has big stuff going on, I promise you that. Big stuff that brings them to tears at times. Myself included. And, and you go home, when was the last time it's, it's all weighing in on you and, and you are drawn by the Lord to get down on your knees and the first thing you want to do is just give thanks to how good God has been to you in your life. That's, an, that's a unique way of praying, isn't it? See, that type of faith is the type of faith that really gets the God of the Bible. Because there's so much to give thanks for no matter your circumstances, isn't there? It could always be 10 times worse than it is. We don't know half of what God does protecting us from all the evil that could become us. That's just common grace. The great teacher Abraham Kuyper used to teach that. God is always holding up the world by common grace because if he just let it go and let all the evil take place, oh, this world would just be pure chaos all the time. We need to thank God just for sustaining the world and making it livable in. That's his common grace in our life. And even when it's all weighing in on you, the promises God has made you, he's for you if you're in Christ. He's forgiven all of your sin. There's no more judgment. When was the last time it's all weighing down on you and you just get down on your knees and say, Jesus, I got a lot to ask for. I got a lot to intercede for other people in my life. But first, first, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that I'm saved. Thank you that you chose me when I, when I couldn't have the strength to choose you. Thank you that it's not worse than it is. It could always be worse than it is. Some of, us, some of us, what happens in our life is that God uses lion's den moments to actually form dependent prayer in us. And that's not, the, that's not the worst thing that could happen, to be honest with you. Sometimes I think that's the tool God uses in our life to teach us how to finally depend on God. Because what are lion's dens? Lion's dens are when, when you're in a situation where you come to the end of yourself. Where, where you actually realize finally I can't do it. I, I can't solve this. I can't fix it. I can't fix them. I can't change the law. I can't, there's nothing, I, I'm, I'm spent. And it's when God permits you to get to that place of being utterly spent that sometimes some of us finally open our hands and turn to the one person who's been there from the very beginning, who from the very beginning was saying, you don't have to let it get this far. I'm, I'm with you before that. Sometimes lion's dens are the very thing God uses to teach you how to depend on him. And if God's doing that in your life or has done that in your life, make sure you learn the lesson. Because then when you come out of the lion's den, don't lose the ability to thank God and depend on God in all circumstances. Nothing's ever out of control. It's always in his hands, even when it feels like it's out of control. But secondly, the second lesson from that is don't wait till the lion's den to learn how to depend on prayer. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with God. If you've ever paused and kind of backed the truck up a little bit and just think about this thing we're talking about here, the God of the universe who wove the fabric of everything into being, who sustains it by the word of his power, that God knows you in Christ, knows everything about you, went to the cross for you, he shed his blood, Jesus shed his blood to be able to adopt you into his family. If you back up a little bit and think about the, the grand story that, we, that we're living in, this is too good. And to, to deny that goodness 
by failing to just slowly and steadily de- develop a meaningful prayer life in your life, it is to really say, it doesn't matter all that much to me. There's a wonderful prayer movement happening in this church. We pray every single day, and I keep reminding you of this because we need to be reminded. Every single day we pray. We've been doing it for 15 months straight. We pray at 6.30 a.m. over Zoom, at noon over Zoom. Many of you join at least once a week, and I wanna keep encouraging you. Join as often as you can. Some of you are on there almost every day. I love it. We pray every Sunday morning back in that hallway. Had about 20, 25 folks this morning praying fervently for each of you. You know you were prayed for this morning before you got here? You were prayed for. Isn't that pretty powerful? Now come join us and pray for everyone else. It's even more powerful. You're not gonna survive the lion's den if you don't learn to develop dependent prayer, okay? Lesson number three. God is able to deliver you. Ready? God is able to deliver you. Let's try this. Three words, God is able. I want you to say it after me. Ready? You yell it real loud. God is able. able. Do it one more time. What is it? God is able to deliver you. Daniel's public display of public disobedience gets him arrested, and he's about to get thrown in the lion's den, where he is going to be mauled to death by ferocious, hungry lions. That's what's coming, okay? Daniel chapter 6, verses 16 through 20. Actually, let's back up just a little bit. I want to read all of this. Let's back up where we left off at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered, said, the, king, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, keep in mind, now this king had learned to trust in Daniel. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He's trying to find some political avenue to save Daniel. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. You made the law, king. Now you got to live by it. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Verse 19, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king, king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. They've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O oh, king, I have done no harm Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is a miraculous deliverance from an impossible circumstance, right? 
This is a miraculous deliverance from an impossible circumstance. We've seen this once before in the book of Daniel where Daniel's three buddies were thrown into a fiery furnace and they survived with not even the smell of smoke on them. It's kind of like that. This is now happening to Daniel. There's no way to survive the lion's den. It's a miraculous deliverance from an impossible circumstance. The lion were real. The lion's breath must have sent shivers down his spine. I'll never forget watching a documentary on the life of John Huss, one of the great men who came before Martin Luther who sowed the seeds of what would become the Reformation. And a scene is seared in my mind. He, the following morning, John Huss, this is actual history, was about to be uh, burned at the stake. And, he, and a candle was lit so he could read at night. And he just put his hand over the flame just to feel it for a second and pulled it back, realizing how much pain he'd have the next day as John Huss would be martyred for his faith. The lion were real, right? Feel that. As the cave door was closed, what was going through Daniel's mind as darkness fled from him? Imagine that fear for just a moment. I want to teach this very clearly. I want to make sure you understand that I am not teaching the prosperity gospel. God does not always deliver from lion's dens. That is not the promise of scripture by no means. His saints have suffered in many ways and many of us will experience many hardships in this life. It is not the promise of God that every difficult circumstance you ever find yourself in will find its perfect ending in this life. God will have perfect justice at some point. Some hardships continue to get worse, but I need you to know this. God can and often does deliver from the lion's den. I've watched it in this church. I've seen hardships and circumstances and impossible scenarios delivered in miraculous ways time and time again in this church. I've seen in this church people who were nearly on their deathbed as the church came together and prayed for them. Get up from that bed. And, and be alive in ways that defied what the doctor said could be possible. See, God is able, isn't he? I've seen that in this church. And many of you who have been on those email chains, you've seen it as well. I've seen it. I've entered homes late at night and I found marriages that were over. As a pastor, I have stepped into some broken places where marriages were over. It was done. There's no way. We prayed prayers that they'd be, that, and what's going on in my head is, this is impossible. And you know what? I've seen those marriages healed in full, joyful, happy, years later, strong marriages. God is able, isn't he? I know you've seen these things too. I've had friends who were walking in such addiction to drugs that they were certain their days were numbered. One of them in particular was so addicted to drugs, he was so deep into the drug industry that he, at one point, a drug deal gone bad, he had a gun up to his head and the only reason he's alive today is because no bullet came out when the click was made. That man's planting churches in this city today. God is able. God is able. We've seen these stories. So you tell me the next time you're in a lion's den that God's not able, I'll tell you I've seen it happen time and time again. I've walked with folks whose relationships with their parents were broken, over, nothing left. They didn't want to talk to their parents and their parents didn't want to talk to them. Today, strong relationships with their parents. Strong relationships, healing. God is able. You've seen these stories too. I've walked with couples who were told they would never have children, impossible, could not have children. And I've held those babies in my hands, 
no intervention, no science, no medical, no nothing, just God making the impossible possible. God is able. I've seen it. My wife and I were recounting those stories last night to each other as I was thinking about this. I've seen my own vivid dreams become a reality before my eyes. Have I ever told you those stories? I've seen dreams I've had become actual living realities before my very eyes. God is able. God is able. This is what he does. He does this all the time. He's able. I know men and women who were deeply, deeply involved in the LGBTQ community. Clubs, raves across the city, raves across the country, who are since committed followers of Christ, who God not only delivered them from that, but completely changed their mind who are married to women today with happy marriages. Those stories don't get told that often, but they should. God is able. God is able. I know of generational sins that were broken on a dime. Alcoholics on both sides of the family, as far as you could possibly see, not a trace of alcoholism left in this person. God's able. God is completely able. That's generational sin that's broken on a dime when you accept Jesus Christ. I know of men who have addictions to pornography that they never thought would break. And have since not only had those addictions to pornography break, but have have become teachers to other men because God not only removed the desire for pornography, but he removed the images from their mind as well. They're gone. And and he tells the story, he says, not only did I have an addiction, I never thought I'd get the images out of my head and it would always haunt my marriage, but the images are gone. He can't, if he tried to remember, he can't remember what he saw. God is able. No one tell me that God is not able because God is able to deliver from every lion's den. I know of stubborn, agnostic, aging parents whom on their deathbed had angels sent to them to share the gospel with them that I'm convinced we will see in heaven and celebrate heaven with. Whole life lived outside of Christ. With seconds remaining, someone comes and shares the gospel out of nowhere with impossible circumstances, might I add. God is able. Let me tell you the most marvelous one of all. God took a wretch like me, a sinner like me, who was destined for a life apart from God and headed down the wrong track. And he changed my life on a dime. He taught me that there is a God who loves me, who has a better plan for my life than the thing that I was headed for. And he set my life on a radical new path. You would have told me when I was a kid that I was going to end up being a pastor, that I was going to be a teacher. That's not the plan. That's not what was going to happen. God is able to change a life. See, here's what I need every person in this room to make sure you understand. When we come into this place, when we worship the God of these scriptures, we are coming in touch with the God who is able. And what that means is when you come in here with the baggage of whatever's going on in life and the hardship of all the pain that you're going through and the hardship of brothers and sisters and and mothers and fathers who are far from God and in pain and suffering or your marriage is struggling and you come in here, we're not just playing church You're coming in contact with the living God who's able to deliver you, with the living God who sent Jesus to the cross for you. His blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. His Holy Spirit sent so you could have life to the full, not life in half, not for partial victory over sin, full victory, victorious living, 
Life on fire the way it was meant to be. Life on fire that makes everyone else in this city turn their head on a church that's living on fire and say, what got into those people? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the God who's able, changed my life and all of our life. See, we serve a God who's able. Whatever your lion's den is that you're going through today, I, I want to I foster in you today this dependent prayer that finally clicks. You, you don't need to solve these things on your own. And better, better yet, you can't solve them on your own. You were never supposed to solve them on your own. God is able. And dependent prayer says, I'm done trying. I'm done pretending that I'm God. It's exhausting and it makes everybody else worse. Now what I want to do, I want to come in community. I want to pray. I want to pray to the God of scripture because what I read is that he delivered Daniels from the lion's den. And that means just maybe he's going to deliver me too. And I want to be there when that happens. See, can we form that prayer in this church? God is able to deliver. Principle number four. This is very important. When Christians faithfully endure the lion's den, God gets the glory. When Christians faithfully endure the lion's den, God gets the glory. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Let me read that again. Did you hear that? Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That was the power that man had. What's the letter that he wrote to the entire globe? Should we read it together? Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. When Christians endure lion's dens faithfully and when they fall on their knees in prayer and thanksgiving and then God delivers them, what happens is that the world takes notice and the gospel goes forward. And again, I'm going to come back to a theme we've been picking up all through the book of Daniel, is that when you're a Christian, your life is not just about you. And, and this is so important because we, we lose this in the West. Frankly, in the East, they're, they're much better at the understanding of community. They have a sense that we're dependent on each other. Living in the city is hard. Living in the city can be very isolating. It can be lonely. It can be difficult. Many of you are far from family. But what we have in this room, when you look around here, this is brother-sister type level of family. This is life together type level of family. And when one person suffers, the scripture says we all suffer together. When one person rejoices, the scriptures say we all rejoice together. And what happens is when one person endures a lion's den and the whole community comes around and prays together and that person's praying dependently and then God delivers them miraculously and what happens is that the, the truth of the gospel goes forward as a church family learns to celebrate together, doesn't it? The gospel goes forward and neighbors begin to take notice. Kings begin to take notice that, that whatever's happening here, this is different. It's not a club. It's not a midweek meeting up in an office somewhere. This is the church of the living God. And he's doing something that's making heads turn. 
The principle here is that faithful endurance of lion's den gives much glory to God. We've been watching and, and tracing this war in Ukraine. We've brought this up and been praying over this for a while now. Many of you are watching the images come in online and the videos and the stories, and it's, it's all too overwhelming for us at times, isn't it? I had a letter read to us from one of our pastors at Park. His brother is a missionary in Romania, which is right near the Ukrainian border. And uh, the letter is pretty powerful. I want to read the whole letter to you. And uh, the, remember the, the point I'm making here as I read this to you. The point I'm making is that when Christians go into the lion's den and suffer in a godly way, much glory goes to God. So here's a letter. Let me explain big picture what's happening in Romania. Refugees and exiles are fleeing Ukraine in the tens of thousands. And as they come west and as they head towards Romania, this missionary family who's got a very small church, much smaller than this, maybe just this section over here is the size of their church, probably a tenth of the resources this church has, okay? What they're doing is they're housing as many people as they possibly can. They've all moved out of their homes. Just let this touch on your sense of Western individualism for a second. They've all moved out of their homes. I don't even know where they're staying. Maybe hotels, I suppose. And they're permitting 20 to 30 Ukrainian refugees with their children to stay in their homes. This is happening for months at this point. Their church and their offices have people sleeping everywhere. Church has essentially kind of been put on pause a little bit because it's just overrun with people that they're caring for and feeding and cooking for and sheltering, okay? So we talk about a lion's den. This sounds very missional, doesn't it? It sounds very, wow, like look at those missionaries serving so faithfully. Let's read the letter that he wrote to his brother here in Chicago. It's a bit longer. Let me read the whole thing. There's a constant influx and efflux of Ukrainians seeking refuge. We have about 30 who have chosen to remain with us to provide housing. But many pass through on their way to a Western European destination and stay for a night or two. Most have left with just the clothes on their backs and we're trying our best to accommodate the most pressing needs. Fuel costs, which were already high in Europe, have skyrocketed since the start of the war. Since the beginning of aiding refugees, our driving has nearly tripled. Last week, prices at the pump surged to almost 10.50 a gallon. Next time you want to complain, let the Lord remind you of this family. Our heating and hot water are also all gas-based, and in our home alone, we currently have about 20 people in our house, all of which are, of course, bathing or showering. We also have a family in an apartment in the city that our church uses for office space, and multiple families in our small church have taken families in. No one in our context is well off. All of us are trying to do what is right, not necessarily what makes sense on paper. We're walking by faith and not by sight. Per the request of the Ukrainians who are with us, we have also begun bringing supplies to the border to aid those who cannot get across the Ukrainian border, the Ukrainian, as the Ukrainian border is only a couple of hours from us. This extra effort means we will need and go through more food, clothing, and other supplies than if we were not trying to help out at the border. Everyone in our church is starting to get tired emotionally and physically as the days are long and unpredictable. We need supernatural grace to not only have the stamina to continue in this, but the grace to continue doing it joyfully. Come on. Let me read that again. We need supernatural grace to not only have the stamina to continue in this, but the grace to continue doing it joyfully. 
We're trying to have realistic conversations with the Ukrainians regarding the long-term plans if things do not turn in their favor. As we hope and pray with them for all of this to come to an end peacefully and for them to return to their homes. We need both wisdom and discernment as we try to navigate through such uncharted waters. Thank you for your help and supporting. Uh, I'm going to send out tomorrow in my weekly email a link to give financially to that ministry. So if you want to give financially, be signed up for my email. I'll send that link out. Let me close by saying this. There's something about that, that letter that sounds a lot like the Jesus I know, doesn't it? There's something about sacrificial living. There's something about giving up all the things we cling to in the West, our comforts, and really being in a place of depending. Did you hear that language? We're all emotionally exhausted. Why are they emotionally exhausted? Because they're serving to degrees and in ways that, are, that would stretch all of us to an extreme. And there's something about that that's so compelling, isn't there? And I wonder if, I wonder how we breed that in this church. We don't need to manufacture problems to solve. That's not the goal. But there's something of the heart and the motivation that sees people in need around them and that sees felt needs and practical needs and just living as a Christian and the way Jesus has served us that just looks for opportunities to expend yourself in ways that are stretching. If I'm honest as a pastor, I see it in a lot of you. I, I see you opening your homes to people and, and opening your lives and dinner tables and bringing people in. We're doing this. But I can't help but read that letter and think, I want more of that in this place. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you for the reality of Daniel being rescued from the lion's den. What an incredible story. And God, you have rescued so many in this room from lion's dens so many times. Lord, you are worthy of, worthy of praise. You're worthy of thanks. Teach us right now, Holy Spirit. Would you come in such a way that stirs us and moves us to deeper devotion and affection, to a deeper longing for Christ, to a more humble Christianity? Lord, we give you this church and whatever's happening in this room right now, we, we, we were never in control of anything to begin with and we confess that to you. And Jesus, we want this to be a place where lives are constantly changed. And so I pray in the name of Jesus for anyone who's in a lion's den right now, any kind, spiritual lion's den, maybe it's persecution the way Daniel was facing. Maybe it's a, that sinking lion's den that Charles Spurgeon wrote about so often that he experienced for years on end, the lion's den of depression. Lord, Lord, together we lift this church up to you. You're, you're the God who rescues from lion's dens. Sometimes you do it on a dime. You just do it because you're a good God and you know our breaking points. And so, Jesus, I pray across this room right now, Holy Spirit, power for the breaking of chains, for the breaking of generational sin, 
I pray for Holy Spirit power anywhere where there's conviction of sin in this room right now and a a desire to see victory in Christ. I pray power right now. I pray that there would be a turning, that today would be the day of salvation, that there would be no turning back, that you would replace addictions, that you would replace wrong affections and wrong motivations with a joy in Christ, and and there would be no turning back. It would just be too wonderful. The only explanation for it was Jesus changed us and that Jesus would get the glory for it. Lord, whatever you want to do with this church, we are all yours. None of us, myself included, hold on to anything. I pray in Jesus' name. Will you stand and join as we worship?